Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, and welcome to Prospect Magazine's podcast, Headspace, where we bring together prospect editors and experts pushing the question, what's the big idea? I'm Tom Clark, and this week, the local elections. Finally, we can look up from the Brexit arguments and shenanigans about deals that might come in the future or might not and concentrate on something different, a real-life vote. Today we pick over the results to see what they might mean about the state of the parties. We talk about number 10 being pleased and, and they definitely will be pleased, especially relative to expectations. Um, but we're not kind of in a situation where anyone's had a resounding success. We're in a position where um, if none of these political parties existed, you wouldn't invent them. And later in the podcast, Alex Dean, our political correspondent, talks to David Butler, the inventor of the swingometer, no less, and a man who's studied every vote in British politics since the Second World War. Today, we welcome into the pod Jade Azim, who runs Women in Political Data, and also Prospect's own Stephanie Boland and Alex Dean. Um... I'm going to start with you, Steph, because you've written a little wrap of this confusing kind of mishmash of results. Um, try and do the impossible and, and, and sum it up. Where, where are the big parties now? I think they're stuck in very similar positions that they've been stuck in for a long time, but with a lot of drama around their being stuck there. And when you say sense. a long time, do you mean since last June? I do mean since last June, which feels probably like a longer time than it actually is. In in the world of political journalism, that feels like it's been a very long time. What we basically have is Labour continuing to consolidate their support base in the great cities and outside of the cities, Labour unable to make further gains, it seems at the moment. They've had a very good result in London. They've not taken all of the councils, which some activists were hoping that they'd take, but it's really, it's not been as bad as some headlines are going to have you believe. On the other hand, the Conservatives are continuing to lose support in the cities. And then you have the return of the Lib Dems to some extent. And how big is that? I mean, for a long time, the, the pundit classes have been saying, by Jove, there should be a big kind of uh, centrist hole somewhere in the middle of um, British politics that the Lib Dems have been abjectly failing to fill until now. But... um are they really back in contention? My hunch is it's less a centrist push and it's more... The Lib Dems ran a very good campaign on two fronts. On the national level, they ran the pro-Remain campaign and there is a void there for a party which is stridently anti-Brexit. Um, and what's interesting about these council elections is you had more seats up for grabs in areas you would expect to be more pro-Remain. 
So while they've had a fantastic night, I'm sure some people in Lib Dem HQ are wondering about how that's going to convert to the next general election. The other thing, though, is they also ran a strident local campaign, including bins being their big talking point. And when you run a local campaign where you've got a national appeal and something that sits with voters and what they want to happen in their hometown, you do well, generally. But Jade, I mean, of course, Liberal Democrats um, have been trying similar sorts of things um, for a long time. And um, at least until now, and the question is whether it is still now, They've not been forgiven by a lot of people for the for the coalition. Do you think that could be beginning to change? Their electorate is very limited still. Um, they can cling on to this uh, pro-European sort of metropolitan voters in you know places like Richmond. But beyond that, they're not going to gain it with young people, I don't think. Um, nor can they particularly gain with any other constituencies outside of that sort of demographic. Um, they have certainly benefited from Labour's ambiguity on Brexit and the Tories hardline on Brexit um, but they pose a minimal threat in my opinion. And uh, Alex I mean um, I know we're always told to think local and it sounds like the Liberal Democrats have been doing but inevitably we want to know in a kind of fraught political environment where this leaves um, big picture politics as well. Um, the last election the Conservatives were two points ahead um, this one, the uh, number crunches are saying if there was an election now, maybe the Conservatives would be one point ahead. I mean, the world feels like it's in complete meltdown and yet it also feels like nothing's changing. Um, kind of, If you look at the projected national picture um, on kind of charts and graphs, and I think Rawlings and Thrasher have done quite a good one um, for you know, Sky News um, of what this would mean for kind of a... Uh, national across across the country um it's tempting to look at the general election last year look at the projections for this year and think that nothing's changed and in a sense that's true the kind of overall numbers the tories seems to be in kind of a similar place labor seems to be in kind of a similar place so i think that while the overall picture is static all the parties are kind of churning internally um and i think obviously the biggest you mentioned kind of the big uh, political issues in the big picture the big picture is brexit um I think I maybe take a slightly different line to Jade on this, although yeah, that's done with caution, that there might be just a slight hint of something um, starting to turn here. Lib Dems are the party of Remain. They've positioned themselves, as Steph said, strongly as the party of Remain. And I wonder if they're starting to pick up some slight benefits from that. And I think... I I mean, you watch the Brexit thing all the time. The, the steady trickle of polls does now seem to suggest a small, and we stress small, but consistent change in the direction of people thinking... Maybe it's not such a good idea. Yeah, and and that would be about consistent, I guess, with this this kind of swing to, um, for the Lib Dems. Um, as Steph said, there's there's all sorts of things at play. There's kind of the is it is it the national campaign? Is it the locals? Because of what people think about their bins? Is it just general protest sentiment um, that, that's inclining people towards the Lib Dems? And I think there's a case that they sometimes do better in locals because they could people feel willing to use their local vote as a protest vote when they don't in the general we're all being very measured here but i mean there's another way of looking at this which is to say the government is presiding out for absolute chaos the prime minister can't at the moment bring the proposals she wants to bring on the future of the country and whether it should be in the customs union or not steph to the cabinet she's been blocked by a cabinet committee from bringing something to her own cabinet um, we've got um, a ticking clock that she set ticking against britain um, for a deal that she has to get done in the autumn yesterday it was said oh maybe i'll kind of postpone that great repeal bill um she doesn't know what she's doing 
governments in midterm normally kind of are sinking backwards, but she's standing still. I mean, in a way, you could say it's an extraordinary triumph. Yes, I think there will be a lot of people in Number 10 who are very pleased with this result, particularly because the Tories have done an absolute masterclass in expectations management in the run-up to the election. I think there was a headline the other day that said something about losing 220 seats. I feel like I'm misremembering, but mm. I feel like it was that extreme. Um, and they've basically broken even, haven't they, the Conservatives on seats? Yeah, which is, again, quite surprising given the areas that were up for election. Yeah, I think um, we've reached both... We were talking about Pete Corbyn, right? Um, and, you know, this, this sort of idea of momentum, mind the pun, of, um, you know, he he can't stop, like, gaining in terms of um, the momentum of his ideas. Um, but he's reached a peak. But I also think so has Theresa May. I think they're both at a stalemate. Um, they've reached a point where the towns versus the cities, they're both impenetrable to one another. Um, so... I th- actually think the hardliners um, in terms of the Brexiteers in, in her cabinet are going to see this as a validation, a vindication of their being hardline um, to sort of mm, that's interesting. consolidate the towns. So as well as being stuck, this could be an election that keeps things stuck. Yes, precisely, yeah. I think one, one important point worth making is that um, we talk about number 10 being pleased and, and they definitely will be pleased, especially relative to expectations. Um, but we're not kind of in a situation where anyone's had a resounding success. We're in a position where um, if none of these political parties existed, you wouldn't invent them. Both parties have a huge hill to climb um, to get anything back to you know the eras when each of them could command convincing majorities. This election more than anything serves as an indication of just how fractured and changed our political landscape has become. And it's now an issue more of kind of fragile pacts and deals rather than um, you know romping home under first past the post. It was also quite funny to see if you're following this on Twitter how Labour has already managed to turn it into an argument as to whether or not momentum are screwing Labour's chances across the country or their fantastic ground game is the reason why they've done as well as they have done. Um, which is that? Is that a new record for infighting? Kind of three hours <laughs> after that. I, I find it fascinating that, um, say, the unseat campaigns have got a lot of like anger about mobilising a lot of people. It was more speaking as um, someone that was on the doorstep. It was that we were in these new marginals where we hadn't actually really built up a brand there before and I think it's a long game where um, I was knocking on doors and people were saying oh you haven't come around here before um, so it was it was a sense of we were you should say you were campaigning for Labour were you yes yeah yeah for Labour I was campaigning um, I was campaigning in uh, a marginal Chinkford which we were you know not previously targeting um, and there was a sense that they were suspicious of us being there as sort of newcomers, maybe in the long term when we build up our, our brand in those sort of areas. But Wandsworth and Westminster, we'd never really targeted before. And it was that over expectation. Wow, it's extraordinary, the expectations management. None of you, I suspect, were born, but I can actually remember Kenneth Baker standing up and holding up a newspaper in 1990, in a year when they really had been clobbered, the Conservative Party, and saying... Like, it's OK, we've won these two councils, Wandsworth and Westminster, maybe Bradford as well. I can't remember. There was two or three and everything came down to those councils. How, Steph, did Labour, which we often accuse of not having a altogether tip-top press operation, how on earth did it allow itself to be painted into a position where it had to win the Council of Buckingham Palace in order for this to look like anything other than a bit of a setback? I think because some of the key activists who are very vocal on Twitter and thinking of people um, like Owen Jones have been trying to almost run a... 
it's not even a press operation, but trying to speak on two fronts. They're both trying to speak to the young activists who they're trying to mobilise and kind of speak to a press commentariat. And part of what was so good about the in-seat campaign, and it was that relentless optimism, and it did get people out on the doors. And I think in Plymouth you had four times as many activists as have been, been out door knocking before, and that was a big Labour win. On the other hand, you raise expectations by having that kind of relentless optimism that does get people out. So when you talk about expectations management, you're almost speaking to a form and style of campaigning that momentum is trying to move beyond. But of course, then it leaves the trap open for disappointed activists the next day. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to sum this up. I think that we're saying that um, not a great deal has changed, certainly since um, 2017, we know that UKIP's uh, disappeared in a puff of smoke since the last time these seats were fought in 2014. And the other thing that's changed since then is we've got this great cities versus the rest of England divide, Alex, which, um, as you've pointed out to me before, is at heart a kind of leave versus remain tussle. And so it's this divided landscape now that um, we all need to think about parties navigating. My kind of preliminary understanding of all this is that Labour did worse than expected in leave areas. If that's true, um, that could potentially have big implications for Brexit and with specific reference to Labour's position on Brexit. Already there are a huge number of Labour MPs in leave areas who are kind of very hesitant and worried about the party's positioning on Brexit and worried that it's going slightly too close towards Remain. At the moment, the Labour Party's position has been kind of ambiguity, but always slightly more towards Remain than the Tory party has been. Um, and it, this result, if if I'm right, and if it is kind of not so good for Labour compared to what they were expecting in leave areas, that will mean that the party is there'll start to be more pressures internally in the party for them to watch their Brexit positioning extremely closely. Especially, Jade, if indeed the Conservatives do walk that um, line you were suggesting, which is saying, well, look, it's the leave part of the country that's got behind us, so now we've got to deliver for them. And if Labour's position is always to be an inch the other side of the, the Conservatives and they veer off that way, then it's going to be pretty difficult for Labour, isn't it? That, there is that tug and pull in Labour, but of course there's also that tug and pull in, in the Conservatives where there are, you know, remain... Um, MPs uh, in the cities who will now have to think about okay but what's the Tories future in the cities which is why I was saying about there is that this now stalemate of the towns versus cities and I think that's the absolute frontline British politics right now. And I mean the other thing um, that like you look at these results and the, and the stagnation since last year and you think what's going to happen next time it becomes quite hard to see significant overall majority at this stage of course everything keeps changing but like if we are in an era of hung parliaments um the smallest shift of the needle step is enough to undo the conservative dup alliance what other kind of alliances could we be looking at any that could you can see lasting out for a four or five year term well, we kind of come back to what alex was just saying about there's a lot of movement within these parties Personally, at the moment, I would be very surprised if the Liberal Democrats would go into bed with Labour because it would ruin their party of Remain stance. Of course, if your Labour leadership changes by 2022 and you don't have somebody who is known as a Eurosceptic in the leadership, you might be able to move the window of opinion on Brexit within Labour to a place where a different sort of alliance would be possible. And what do you all think, Alex, in particular, what do you think about just after March the 29th, Unless something very dramatic happens, 
which it might, they have been happening, but we will be out. It will be a different discussion. It will be, can we maybe extend this transition and haggle this thing and that? And Yeah, yeah I think on it's not Brexit, everyone knows, it's not just a question of kind of leave, remain. It's a question of the extent to which you leave and how you leave. And, and one thing that's becoming increasingly clear over, um, you know, as the exit process kind of relentlessly churns on just you know disaster after disaster is that um nothing's going to get done in time and we're going to be looking to extend the process and then probably extending it again and extending it again which means that these questions aren't going to go away um we'll probably be out next year i think if i was kind of a betting man i'd say we'd probably be out um but that doesn't mean that it's it's kind of settled and the parties are there's their new consensus forms across the parties that are outside of the european union there'll be huge questions around um you know, if, if there's an extension of the transition, that could go into 2022 and then the party's campaign on what we're going to do about the transition. But when you talk to experts, which I know you do all the time, do they sort of say all this stuff about extended transition and all of that? You've got to do it now. Or can we negotiate these things from the transition, in which case you can imagine this thing's just going to drag on forever? Yeah. Um, very good question. Um, so someone who is very good on this is Jean-Claude Pires, who was the director general, former director general of um, the EU Council's legal service. And he's adamant that you can't extend the transition. No one anywhere has the power to extend the transition uh, if you look at the kind of withdrawal agreement in its current form and all the legal text in the current form, that has huge implications. It has huge implications for what deal we might be able to do, but it would also have huge implications for British politics because, like, Europe and Brexit at the moment is the number one issue, but once you're properly out, it can't be, can it? Get back to normal politics. I do keep thinking, going back to that idea of open versus closed as a dividing line, and even if 2022 is not a Brexit election, the tension between localism and globalisation I don't see being resolved anytime soon. And we're going to have all these kind of questions about how the city is able to function post-Brexit. You're going to have a generation who are used to being able to travel more easily, who have had their rights removed. So even if we're not kind of still grappling, and Alex, I would really like you to tell me that we won't still be grappling with all of these <laughs> things. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, so sorry. Um, <laughs> I think we will be. The, the sort of questions about what sort of country Britain is going to be I would imagine will still be firmly in play and probably still along that city versus town line. There is also the aspect of as millennials come of age as well within the next you know decade or so, when when the median voter becomes what is now um, sort of considered the youth, um, what will their verdict be, and um, how will their how will they play up as a as a power player compared to the current sort of conservative voters who are sort of maintaining this electoral coalition that the Tories rely on. Um, another, we shouldn't forget that there's been some pretty dramatic um, episodes elsewhere in politics this week before these elections, which again, I think, makes the picture of stability more surprising. Not least, um, uh, the Prime Minister lost, I think, the fourth or fifth cabinet minister in the last six months. And this time it's the most senior one to date, Amber Rudd, arguably, uh, on this um, issues related to this divide of um, o globalism, openness with the world um, against nativism, Steph? Yes, this is Amber Rudd resigning over the Windrush scandal and more broadly over, it's not called the hostile environment policy anymore, it's been rebranded as the compliant environment, I think. Um, but basically the, the immigration strategy that is designed to make it uncomfortable um, to be an undocumented migrant in the UK. Um, there's a there's a real tension in the story, I think, for me, in that on the one hand, 
frustration at people who are sort of going, actually, Amber Rudd was relatively liberal as things go and we should be worried that she's gone and what will happen to the to the policy now. Um, but I think also a lot of frustration that these policies, which were not inaugurated by Theresa May, but definitely clamped down on by Theresa May during her time in the Home Office, are, you know, we've kind of got a, a full guy here taking it for the Prime Minister, and it seems to have worked. I don't know if just because we had a local <laughs> election a few days later, but we seem to have... Kind We've of. got a, a nod and a shake here. <laughs> Alex first can weigh in an agreement. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I was just, just quickly going to say that, yeah, it's, it's actually incredible when you consider the last few weeks Theresa May has had that s- somehow this semi kind of partial half success in the local elections has almost seemed to have wiped the slate clean. Stable, if not strong, nothing's changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, weak, but stable. What I found interesting about this, I mean, I've seen this happen before that you get these subjects that seem to be going completely one way. So one thinks of kind of benefits and every single cut they announced you thought how far can they go and uh, they always got away with it and then suddenly there was a load of tax credit cuts after the 2015 election and the sun was saying no enough is enough and I wonder with immigration whether the Windrush scandal represents one of those it was in the Guardian initially a very liberal paper obviously but like there was a backlash it's that sense of fairness i think fairness is a really strong aspect of british politics but that doesn't mean that the hostile environment or whatever they want to call it now is somehow unpopular i think it's really upsetting actually that there's been such little damage done as a result of this do people mention it by the way on the doorstep no, no, it didn't come up in the local elections, but maybe that's just because I was also in London. So it's, it's um, you know, there was nothing particularly to it. Um, however, it's surprising that it's not damaged the government. Um, on the contrary, I think there was a poll that suggested the hostile environment remains popular and it's actually boosted, it boosted Theresa May's approval ratings. Um, that's obviously thoroughly depressing for me as an activist on the left. Um but I don't know how we go about that because, yeah, it's, it's Theresa May's policy and she should be condemned for it, but she hasn't been. But it's just a reminder, isn't it, that I guess minority issues are, sadly, perhaps minority issues. Um, we also had, um, weirdly in the run-up to this election, the two biggest stories. We had um, two weeks of like um, institutional racism under Ter- Theresa May's home office uh, and, and number 10 and two weeks before that of non-stop infighting and self-wounding on the part of Labour over anti-Semitism doesn't look to have changed anything nationwide but Steph in the one place they were most confident of winning in London a short time ago they've uh, done themselves in on that didn't they? We have I think just very very quickly on on Windrush it is really interesting how well they've positioned it as a minority issue as well like Jade says kind of going these were British people who were treated unfairly not like the rest of those immigrants affected by our by our policies they have kind of turned it into a a minority issue and one about British values and fairness in quite a clever way to 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 give um, Theresa May her credit Um, but no the situation in Barnet I think is probably depressing for everyone depressing for voters in Barnet well not for conservatives in Barnet no, hopefully not. Although you hope at least Conservatives in Barnet hope they could lose an election on different terms than this one, but maybe not. Maybe I'm being too generous there. Um, yeah, Barnet, which I don't know, Jade, you'll probably know better than me how high up it was in the target seats in London. It was the top. <laughs> <laughs> OK, yeah. so, I mean, this is a seat that should have been turning red and it seems it's got a um, 
relatively large Jewish population and it seems that both Barnet's Jewish voters and non-Jewish voters living in Barnet have decided this time they can't come out for Labour. And it actually went from no overall control, I think, to the Conservatives, didn't it? It was a Conservative gain where there was meant to be a Labour victory parade. It's true and there were stories of tears on the doorsteps and doors being slammed in Labour canvassers' faces and the former Labour councillor said that yes anti-semitism is what has lost us the seat and we now know the jewish labor movement are going to meet with jemini formby who's the new general secretary of the labor party to kind of discuss this loss and and what should be done for it in in the party and uh, i mean it's not been a good start given that ken livingstone's been making rounds on our studios but the party <laughs> oh my goodness the, the party needs to get a grip and real quick i had friends in um howard which was one of the key targets in within the borough um who were yeah saying that it was coming up again and again on doorstep and it's just absolutely despicable really i think we come back to the same problem in it that we that that keeps coming up when we talk about anti-semitism labor is that people go the tory party are a racist party and we've had two weeks of of headlines that bear that out you hear that from labor activists and they say why are we focusing on this issue on the left is it a smear campaign and sometimes they say i've not seen anti-semitism myself and i think people aren't as good at spotting anti-semitism as they are other forms of racism um because it's not spoken about in that same way in labor circles by and large so there's a difficult exercise to be done here um but yeah completely agree it, it, it needs to happen in fairly short order <laughs> but still the the big picture is that neither of these issues have shifted things all that much nationwide apart from alex maybe to the extent that it's stopped anyone getting that breakout that they needed right yeah um it's a tricky thing i think there's so such a jumble of what different people could be voting on at different you know the, the national versus local and 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 things like that but i I don't know whether I think the dial not changing this time means the dial is unlikely to change in the next general. Um, I think it's really, really tricky to draw lessons, actually, between um, locals. And it's very good for kind of casting a, a map of electoral politics as it stands today, I guess. It's less good, I think, at predicting um predicting future generals and you know everything's uncertain as it is it's even more uncertain when you look to 2022 especially with the brexit churn so if alex finds the map difficult to read that's no surprise i think the rest of us too uh, do as well but um luckily for alex he was able earlier today to speak to the doyen of election readers david butler the nonagenarian institution who is the inventor of the swingometer back in the 1950s and alex started off by asking him to help him make sense of yesterday's results very disappointing for labor certainly i'm sure that they, they showed their disappointment on the telly which i've been watching how long have you been following politics for david 50 years i wrote a book i wrote an appendix to a uh, a book on the 45 election when I just got out of the army I was 21 and back in Oxford. Just how fraught is politics now um, compared to in those years and decades well, previously? I think it's very different. I did election results on television from 1950 to 2015 and uh, I'm very, very glad in a sense to have got out of it that the, even in 2015, when I had a rather small role, but for that quite a major role in election night coverage, I uh, uh, was relieved to be out of it because I think 
the rules of the game of politics have ch changed very substantially uh, from uh, uh, the world that I lived in. I could go on commenting on election after election, assuming, broadly speaking, the future would resemble the past. And I don't feel that I'm in a game, uh, and you know, relatively speaking, uniform swing in successive elections. Not by any means completely, and you had to be very flexible and notice changes. But at the same time, it, it was a repetitive operation watching elections from 1950 to 2010. And I think since then it has been very significantly more unpredictable. And I suppose I'm therefore believed to be out of the game and the opportunity of making a fool of myself. <laughs> David, someone who very much is still in the game is John Curtis, who I gather you, um, you know him very well. I'm John Curtis' supervisor. I got him in to help on the 1979 election on BBC, and uh, he then has gone on. I watch him, and I think he does it so much better than, than I would do it. He's, he's got a very good analytic mind, and uh, I, 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 I fumbled along quite successfully over many years, but at the same time, I just listen to Don and think yeah, that is a good, crisp point, quickly made, and he does it very extremely well. David, what do you think this means for the general election when it comes? I know that I don't know. Um, the trouble is, I'm 93. One has the high probability that I will not be alive when the election comes, and I shan't have, have, shan't have the worry of making a fool of myself by false predicting. That was uh, Alex Dean talking to David Butler there, so thank you uh, to Jada Zim, who's our guest today, as well as Stephanie Boland and Alex, and of course, the great David Butler himself. I'm Tom Clark. The producer was Jay Elwes. You can read more on the local elections um, and UK politics as its chaos continues to unfold at www.prospectmagazine.co.uk. And whilst you're there, you'll notice, no doubt, that our subscription rates are eminently reasonable. So please do sign up and please be sure to tune in again to the Prospect podcast before long. Thanks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.